Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs, as we always are. Um, it's a Saturday, and it's lovely to be here. Um, we are defending government schools. We are the defenders of government schools, because they need defending. D-O-G-S. A lot of people ask us, why are we called the dogs? Well, because we snap and we bite, and we need to, because state schools are constantly in trouble in the Australian educational context. People jump up and down about how much money private schools get. Um, but really, I'd rather the politicians jump up and down about how much money the state schools don't get um, because they need it. That's the fundamental thing that we talk about. We also talk about separation of religion from the state because those two things, strangely in Australia, end up seen to answering and asking the same questions because religion is so entangled in education in Australia that we have to talk about Catholic schools. I don't want to, but we have to. We have to talk about Protestant schools. We have to talk about Scientology schools. And the reason we have to talk about them all is they're all government-funded. Um, our taxes pay for these people, and so therefore we think they should be accountable. But today, in the last week, there are a couple of issues, some of them quite serious, that have come up both here in Australia and around the world. In America, um, the privatisation of their entire education system goes goes ahead great guns under the tutelage of Betsy DeVos, their education secretary, and the great Donald, um, what's his, John Donald, oh, I can't remember the president's name, who cares, uh, the, the fellow that's on television um, being rude to people all the time. Yeah, um, they're doing ridiculous things to education, and Jean will be filling us in on what's going on over there. But here in Australia, I'll be talking about exactly what's going on and how the Catholic school system are concealing things from the general public. I know it sounds shocking that in, in the current context in Australia that the Catholic Church is concealing things from the people of Australia, but they are, and it involves dollars and cents because the Catholic school systems are using taxpayers' money and concealing where they go. This has been exposed by Trevor Cobalt um, from the Save Our Schools movement up there in Canberra, and we thank Trevor for his constant contributions to the program, and I'll be um, letting you know his findings in that regard. Um, later in the program, of course, we will always do as we can, finish on a high note. We're going to talk about a great state school, some teachers with names, some kids with names, some places that exist where a whole bunch of people get together and they form a school and do wonderful things. And the kids every day learn more than they knew the day before, day after day, year after year, and so that yeah, they can just grow to be proper Australians that know stuff. Um, that's what education, I suppose, is all about. And sometimes that happens in little tiny communities, sometimes in large ones. But a school is a beautiful thing, and um, we like to remind people of that at the end of each program in our little segment, which we call The Great State School of the Week. But that's what's coming up. America, and silly Donald, what's his name? Um, what's going on here in Australia, and specifically relating to the concealing of funds by the Catholic church system and of course our great state school. Um, we might actually have a little chat about chaplains as well because some stuff's going on in Canberra about that. But on the way through, um, it's great to have your company so settle in for the next hour, grab a cup of tea or set your sat nav if you're in the car um, and um, we'll see you on the other side. We've been striking on and off since the 1st of November. All over the world, school-aged kids are on strike to demand action on climate change. In Melbourne, the school strike is running from 12 till 2pm on Friday the 15th of March at the Treasury Building on Spring Street in the city. At 3CR, we believe that action on climate change is urgently required. There will be no community radio on a dead planet. So today, we come together with our friends at Joy 94.9, SIN and Triple R in support of our youth and their message to our leaders to take urgent action on climate change. 
For more information, go to studentstrikeforclimate.com. Annual Flavors Festival on this March celebrates culture from around the globe with cooking demonstrations by celebrity sweet creator Anna Polivieu and Greg Hampton from Charcoal Lane showcasing native ingredients and flavors. It's free and family friendly with music by Black Jesus Experience, Indigenous hip hop projects and many more. Flavors Festival Saturday March 16 from 3 p.m. at Greville Street Pran. Proudly presented by the City of Stonington, a 3CR supporter. Great. Yeah, so here we are at the top of the dog's hour. And we always start, if we possibly can, if Jean's not on sabbatical or doing research, with one of Jean's famous press releases. They're so famous that they number in their hundreds, don't don't they, Jean? This is press release number... 785. 785th press release. And if you want to know what 784 was and 783 and 782 and 201 and 125, even press release number 2, you can go to our website to find them. They're all there. www.adogs.info. But that's history and this is today. So press release number 785. West Virginia offers a blueprint to combat school privatisation. And this is written by Jeff Bryant from the Independent Media Institute, but it was sent to me by John Foster. Thank you, John, who keeps, uh, John keeps an eye on uh, matters all around the world for us and informs us. West Virginia's most recent statewide teacher walkout came and went so quickly there was too little time and attention to comprehend and appreciate the impact the teachers' actions will likely have long-term on changing the narrative of the teacher movement and how politically progressive advocates and candidates relate to it. We did speak about these uh, teacher walkouts in America some weeks ago. But the long-term effects of people getting out and protesting um, is often not spoken about. For example, next Friday, our children, yes, Australian children, will be out protesting about climate change. And I suspect that already Mr Morrison is no longer in love with uh, those pieces of coal that he brought him to the into the Parliament, but is spooking at, that he believes in climate change, at least. So this is a very interesting idea, isn't it, that the people in America who've been out protesting have had an effect. In the very first day of the strike, the teachers squelched the new state legislation that they objected to and then held out an additional day to ensure that it would die. And the day after the schools reopened, the teachers actually got what they wanted, which was a clean bill increasing teacher pay 5%. But unlike their largely successful labour action from last year, this time the teachers weren't making pocketbook issues the focal points of their demands. Instead, it was all about stopping school privatisation through charter schools and a new voucher program. Uh, here in Australia, we don't have charter schools as yet, although uh, sometimes I look at some of the big Protestant schools like Haleybury and think that they look like charter schools with big, big money making profits on uh, insecure parents. But this is what's happening in the United States. Here in Australia, we have a form of the voucher program because every child in a private school here in Australia gets what amounts to a voucher, which is a certain amount of money. Now, the point of the strike back in Virginia was to oppose a Senate bill that included bringing charters and a voucher program to the state, even though the measure included the pay rise the teachers wanted. Teachers accompanied their protests in the Capitol building with chants of, hey, hey, ho, ho, charter schools have got to go. 
This was a huge gamble for the teachers, not only because they risked a confrontation with the wealthy establishment that backs charters and vouchers, but also because they could alienate the coalition of progressive activists who had supported the teachers in the past but had never forcefully opposed the charter schools. So they took a risk. There's been no widespread debate on charter schools in West Virginia until now, Gary Zuckett told uh, the person who wrote this, Jeff Bryant. Zuckett and the West Virginia Citizen Action Group, for which he serves as Executive Director, gladly joined with other social, economic and environmental justice movements across the state last year to back West Virginia teachers in their demands for a pay rise and affixed to the state's broken public employee health program. But neither that group nor the group's national affiliate People's Action had ever before made opposition to school privatisation a major policy point. It's true, at the national level, progressive don't talk a lot about K-12 and charter schools, says Ryan Frankenberry, Executive Director of the West Virginia Working Families Party, a hyper-local political party that backs candidates largely for their stances on social, economic and environmental values and their opposition to big money and politics. And listeners, here in Australia we have this problem too. Our so-called progressive parties have never been prepared to take on the private school interests. So it was never a sure thing should West Virginia teachers make their stand on opposition to charters that the progressive coalition that backed last year's strike would have their backs. So there's a question of clarifying the politics of privatisation in America, which is a little bit different to here in Australia. Uh, these charter schools are not religious schools. They are for-profit schools uh, ran, run by trusts and corporations. When teachers began walking off the job across the country, that's the United States last year, their demands were similar to those that progressive policy activists have long supported, such as workers' rights, higher wages and better funding for public services like education. But for years, the politics of school privatisation efforts have been confusing for them. Charters and school voucher programs have been falsely framed as a civil rights cause. Former President Barack Obama, for example, gave charter schools a big boost in his administration's Race to the Top program. He even sent his children to one of them. Popular Democratic politicians like New Jersey United States Senator and presidential candidate Cory Booker have strongly backed voucher programs and taken campaign donations from the charter school industry. Progressive leaders like Vermont United States Senator and presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, even Bernie Sanders listeners, have been very vague on their views about charters. And progressive advocacy groups have either generally supported charters or declined to take a position on them. But in this year's walkouts by the teachers, particularly in Virginia, Teachers raise the stakes in challenging the progressives in America to come down firmly on their side to oppose further expansion of privatisation efforts. And listeners, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could force Mr Shorten and Tanya Plibersek into this position? But you notice that like the Adani mine, they have been sitting on the fence. Now, teachers' strikes in America have changed minds, and I think that the teachers here, and the students too, uh, can learn from how they can change minds. Beginning with the strike in Los Angeles, teachers began adding opposition to charter schools to their other demands and making a case that these taxpayer-funded, privately-operated schools are harmful to public schools. Here in Australia, they've only got to the point of saying they're now getting more money than public schools. But they are harmful. They take the money from public schools and they duplicate facilities inefficiently and uneconomically. 
The flavour of the teacher strikes has changed, Education Week reporter Madeline Will has written. Unlike last year, when teachers across the country shared a similar narrative of crumbling classrooms and stagnant paychecks, the strike demands now are much more far-reaching. Now, teachers are pushing back against education reform policies like charter schools and there's no clearer evidence of the shift in teacher activism than in West Virginia. In the Mountain State, progressives shifted into the anti-privatisation column because of these strikes, said Frankenberry. Teachers were able to convince people that resisting charters and vouchers was about fighting for the future of public schools. Let's hope, dear listeners, that here in Australia, our teacher unions will take up the cudgels once again. Back in the 60s and 70s, when they first went on strike, the teachers' unions in Australia were anti-state aid, like the dogs. It's only when they were bought out and went on to the um, uh, school, Schools Commission program in the 70s and 80s that they became quieter about this. Progressive organisers uh, over in the United States in West Virginia also can't deny that what they see and hear about conditions in their public schools and how they'd be affected by the introduction of charters. Teachers already know that their schools are strapped for cash, says Zuckett. The state is already losing its population of school-aged children. He notes, adding that the school where his wife works as a counsellor lost 10% of its students this year alone. Any loss of resources is going to hurt our schools. Now, the strikes didn't stop in West Virginia. As we've already noted, they went to Los Angeles, which is perhaps yet, which is the second largest school district in the United States. But they also went to Oakland in California, and the strikes very quickly flamed up. And the California strike resembled the strike in Los Angeles in which teachers demanded not only better pay, smaller class sizes, more nurses, counsellors and other support staff, but also an end to the spread of charter schools. The negative impact of charter schools is likely to get even worse in Oakland, California, where the charters enrol 30% of the students in the district and siphon over $57 million from the public schools. Which sounds a bit like Australia, doesn't it? To further accommodate the charters, the district has announced plans to close 24 public schools. And this is what happened here in Victoria in the 1990s. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Ray Nielsen of the Dogs always used to say that America could could learn a lot from what was happening in Australia and it looks as if they are imitating what was happening to us a couple of decades ago. As of this writing, Oakland teachers were still on strike, declaring in their latest press release when 19 out of 20 teachers are walking the picket line joined by parents when our rallies attract thousands, when 97% of our students stay home, it's clear that this community wants what the teachers' union demands. As the opposition to charters surges to the front of teacher strikes in Oakland, California, a new bill swiftly moving through the state legislature with the strong backing of Governor Gavin Newsom will tighten oversight of charter schools and demand more financial transparency of them. Well, listeners, you can pass this legislation, but whether or not you can get those figures out is another matter. And we'll be talking about getting figures out of the Catholic Education um, Commissioners uh, a bit later in this program. Now, the growing opposition to charters, which has been spurred by teacher strikes, has the charter industry worried. As Politico has reported, the success that teachers have had in blaming charter schools for squeezing traditional schools has raised alarm among the charter school backers, like Betty DeVos, we hope so, who see it as unfair to blame the charter sector for financial woes. Haven't we heard all of this before in Australia? 
the growing conflict and sharply contrasting points of view will likely pressure the political candidates and the progressive activists on the left to take sides. So the fight is on in America against privatisation of public schools there. Democrats in West Virginia are absolutely solidified against charters, says Frankenberry, even more solidified on this than they are on gun control. He concedes, however, that there are still unresolved issues in how progressives will coalesce on charters elsewhere. His progressive colleagues in states with lots of charters still feel an urge to not totally reject them because parents whose children attend the schools are often from marginalised communities and teachers who work in charters are potential targets for labour unions who want to organise the workers. But he finds that in places such as West Virginia and neighbouring Virginia and Kentucky, where there are very few or no charters, opposition to the schools is about saving public education. And opponents are quick to point to high-profile charter school scandals. Well, we've had plenty of private school scandals here in Australia, haven't we? But we're not scandal-mongering today. In Ohio and Pennsylvania, as examples of what befall their states, it's been 20 years of experimenting, he says, and the experiments have often failed. Frankenberry's hope is that the solidarity shown by progressive opposition to school privatisation in West Virginia can rub off on his colleagues in states where charters are more abundant. We're showing that we're not going to accept these schools, he says. Maybe the progressive organisers in places where they already have them can get inspiration from us to rein the charters in. And Zuckert foresees the opposition to charter schools and voucher programs continuing to be more of a point of contention that progressives will push in their policy positions and not just in West Virginia. The fight is on, he says, and shame on us if it isn't. Well, there you are. The fight is on, and shame on us if it, if it isn't. And here, we at the Dogs have said that the fight is on since state aid was given once again to private schools in 1969. And over there in America, they too realise that if you're going to have a good public education system, you cannot tolerate the funds for that public education system going out, the leaky system, to the private system. Whatever that private system might be, whether it is for profit or allegedly not for profit, with uh, religious trusts in charge and religious men in charge. Thank you very much, Jane. That's press release number 785. Can't wait for 786. Up and firing here on the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools. We'll be back with more, actually, after a little bit of music. Thank you. 
that was Kyrie Eleison by Jan Dismas Link. Oh, actually, a wonderful Jesuit fellow, so I don't any religion here. A 17th century composer from um, Bohemia back in the day that was recording done in 2001 by Scholar Cantorum of Melbourne. And Robert's voice is somewhere in the background oh, yeah, there. That, that's, that's, that's not interesting to our listeners. What's interesting to our listeners is what I'm about to say next because they've come to find out what's going on. With, the, with, with all this ridiculous money that's going to the Catholic school system across Australia. Now, um, when it comes to how education funding in Australia, it's probably worth just pointing out that there are three school systems. There is a state school system, government school system, that is to say they're the same thing. Uh, there's a Catholic school system, and then there's a series of independent schools. Now, they are all funded by both state and federal governments in a ridiculously Byzantine manner. They're all funded differently. State schools... Um, have to report, they're completely accountable, how many kids they've got, what the kids are like, what they need to do, what money they need. Um, they tell everyone what money they need, and then they get about half of it, and off they go. That's how a state school works. Um, what they get the money for, um, they spend it on. If they don't spend the money on what they said they were going to spend it on, their heads will roll. Principals, you know, principal gets sacked, teachers get in trouble, education department, there's inquiries, because it's the money they have is taxpayers' money. So if they don't spend it on what they said they were going to spend it on, that's fraud, and so therefore heads will roll. And they do. Um, in Victoria, just recently, we've had a few fraud cases when it comes to public education. It's sad to say, but heads roll. People are in jail. It's completely accountable. Accountable, it's effective, and it's efficient. Now, the independent school system, that's just a bunch of independent people that get together and form a great big club and say, give us the money, we'll spend it on stuff, honestly, we do. And it is partially accountable. Um, it's not completely accountable because independent schools of a religious nature are exempt from the anti-discrimination laws of this country um, and they can sort of spend it on stuff that is discriminatory because they're religious, because that's what religions in many ways are um, at, at heart. People who are religious people discriminate about what they believe and so they are discriminatory and so therefore religious freedom allows them to spend their money on stuff that you know, a state school could not um, because a state school couldn't, couldn't, couldn't exclude students because of their hair colour or their religion because that's against the principles of a state school. However, an independent school, of course, can. So the, where they, but where their money goes, how accountable they are, is sort of pretty one-on-one thing and there have been a large number of independent schools that did the wrong thing and they've been pulled up. Several Islamic schools in both Sydney and Melbourne, um, independent schools that they are, have been pulled up for fraudulent activities and the government took their money away. There's been a couple of uniting um, school church, church, church um, schools that have just gone bankrupt, and that's that. But the third system, the Catholic school system, is a, is a bureaucracy in itself. Um, I'm sure, was it, in Imperium Imperio, Gene would say, it is, it is a state within a state. When the taxpayer's money goes to the Catholic school system, it doesn't go to the school. It goes to the bishop. And the bishop runs the Catholic education office. He is responsible. And where the money goes is a question. And every now and then, an auditor general, a state auditor general or a federal auditor general or an organ of our graced august government will come along and say, excuse me, where's the money gone? And they have an audit. They have an investigation. The auditor general says, hey, you're not spending the money where you said you would. That's wrong. And the Catholic Church, who run this school system, say, yeah, who cares? You can't say that. We just do what we do when we do it. Well, historically, that's what's gone on. And now Trevor Cobalt, up at the Save Our Schools, has done a more in-depth investigation about the mechanics of this process, and it's worth pointing out. And he says in an article on March the 5th on his website, the Save Our Schools website, he says, the public accountability for the use of taxpayer funding is a fundamental tenet of democratic government. Yet... This principle has long been ignored by the Catholic education authorities who refuse to reveal how they distribute government funding amongst their schools, despite it being, and this is the important bit, a legislative requirement. So I'm going to step out, and what I'm saying here is that the Catholic Education Office are ignoring the law, specifically and over a very long period of time. Well, for a long time they've seen themselves as having a law of their own, canon law, and being above the law. That's the medieval position. Indeed. Um, Yes, indeed. And their refusal has been connived, and that's his word, not mine, he's connived by successive governments that failed to make the Commonwealth Department of Education enforce the legislation. The latest example of this tacit agreement at work is the refusal of the Education Department to fully disclose, even today, even today, how Catholic education commissions distribute my money. 
taxpayers' money, your money. Now, the Department refused, this is the Department of Education, refused an FOI request for the full block allocation reports of the Catholic Education Commissions around Australia, because it's plural, and one in each state, and education departments in each state and territory. Now, the Australian Education Act requires that school systems distribute funding on a needs basis that include a base amount per student loadings to address schools and student disadvantages. Now, whenever I talk about the Great State School of the Week and I talk about how much money per goes to kids, when I talk about a state school and how much money goes to a kid in a state school, that's a real number. What Trevor's saying is that if I were to use that number that's published on the My School website for a Catholic school, that number is a fiction. That number's just made up. It has no bearing in reality. Now, this, 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 this relates to what's called block allocation reports. And these block allocation reports are a key mechanism for monitoring whether school systems comply with this requirement. The reports show that payments to each school, including amounts distributed for base funding, the disadvantaged loans, administrative costs and centralised expenditures are included. Now, after consultation with the Catholic Education Commissions around Australia, the Education Department partially exempted each block allocation report from disclosure. The Education Department redacted the information on the payments for the disadvantaged loadings for low socioeconomic status. They redacted the loadings for indigenousness, in indigeneity. They redacted all the figures for disability. They redacted all the figures for low English language proficiency students because each of these things in a country of civilised Australia means that if a child has is, is an Indigenous student with a disability with a low English language proficiency and comes from a poorer family, then if you want that child to get a good education in this country, you need to contribute. I think that's a good idea. But these figures have all been redacted just for the Catholic Education Office. Not for the state school students. No, no, just for the Catholic Education Office. Wonder why. Now, three Catholic Education Commission reports were not released because they were subject to review of the decision to release even the redacted information. As ever, Catholic Education authorities are desperate to avoid public scrutiny of what they do with taxpayers' funds. I'm going to say that again. Believe it or not, and here we are in Australia, 2019... Catholic authorities are desperate to avoid public scrutiny. Now, the department gave two reasons, and the reasons I think are interesting. The reasons they gave for redacting the Catholic Education Commission's reports, but not the state school reports or anyone else's, because they accepted the Catholic Commission's claims that disclosure of the payments would reveal information about the socioeconomic composition of schools that could adversely impact on their community standing and their enrolments. So the reason the Catholic Education Office said you can't look at this because it might affect our ability to trade commercially in the marketplace of education. That's the reason. They also said that the information would disclose personal information about individuals. Um, the latter reason was also given for redacting information on what's called the Prescribed Circumstances Grants, which apply to students with disabilities from the reports of the Victorian, Queensland and Northern Territory Education Departments. But I think it's fascinating that the Catholic Education says you can't look at our numbers because it's commercial inconfidence. It will, it will interfere with our ability, and I'll say that again, our community standing and our ability to generate enrolments in the marketplace of education. Now, in deciding that the release of information could reasonably be expected to adversely affect the schools for those reasons, the Department misinterpreted the FOI Act. It failed to establish that providing payments would or could reasonably be expected to unreasonably affect schools adversely as required in the Act. So Trevor Cobell says, mm, hang on, that's firstly the reason itself is not true, and secondly, I would add, the reason itself is not good enough. <laughs> So as a reason in itself, that is not enough reason for me, the taxpayer, to not know how the money is spent. And he's saying, but it's actually not proven to be true in the first place. This decision, according to Trevor Cobalt, also ignores the fact that the information about the socioeconomic composition of the schools, their indigeneity of the students and the language backgrounds for students who speak other than English at home, is in fact already public domain. I can go onto the website for any Catholic school in Australia and determine accurately, 
the percentage of students who are Indigenous in that school, the socioeconomic status of the students in that school, and indeed how many students from that school come from a background lower than English. This is not secret information. As well as how much government money is allegedly going into that school. Mm. So uh, why are they redacting it from the actual uh, um, documents, I wonder? I think you'll find that those figures on the MySchool website are accurate. The financial figures, however, are fiction. So in answer to the question, whenever I talk about the amount of money on the MySchool website that goes to a state school, those figures are accurate. The figures in terms of the money on the website, on the the MySchool website that relate to Catholic schools, are the amount of money that should be going, that were allocated for that school. The amount of money that turns up the school gate is completely different. And I cannot determine what that amount of money is because I can't, and neither can Trevor, can't do an FRR request. In terms of the figures, in terms of their disability, in terms of the indigeneity, in terms of the socioeconomic status, in terms of whether there's a language background, all that stuff is on the website. And that has not been redacted and that is just comes from a separate source. That's very interesting because going way, way back, um, this has always been the case. Uh, Ray Nielsen, we put full-page advertisements in the paper to prove that from the very first, under the needs policies, the Catholic Education Office was not sending the money to the so-called poor parish schools. They got money, state aid in the first place, because everyone felt sorry for the poor parish schools, but they used the money that was given to them to build new poor parish schools or to give it to the wealthy because they needed those showpiece poor parish schools to get more money. Um, so it's still going on by the sound of things. Well, something's going on. Well, something's going on. Now, Trevor couldn't get this information. The other reason I said you can't get the information is that if we give you this information, you will be able, this will disclose personal, individual's information and they are not at liberty to do so. How so? Well, this is the point, because Trevor, Trevor says quite specifically, his FOI request did not ask for disclosure of personal information about any individual, let alone an unreasonable disclosure of any sort. His request was information on block payments to schools. The interesting personal information would be the, the names of the uh, the bureaucrats and the people in the Catholic Education Office that are making these decisions about our money. And he says, look, (laughs) he's not requesting personal information about any identified individual and you cannot make a conclusion about any individual from the information that he is requesting. Yes. I mean, they're not made to individual families but form part of a funding pool for an entire school. Mm. So they can be used to directly or indirectly support the learning of disadvantaged students. Now... I can tell you right now, if you go to a school and there's 10 kids in the school, okay, and you find out that 10% of those kids are Indigenous, then you know that one of the kids is Indigenous, okay? So yes, that, that is an unreasonable disclosure. But primary schools of this nature, you're not talking about 10 kids and 10%. You, no, the numbers are big enough that you can talk about block funding allocations. So... The Education Department of Australia is not letting Trevor find out. Now, the Catholic Education Office, of course, wants this to be the case because they don't want anyone to find out. And this has happened not just to Trevor, but several reports, including two by the National Audit Office in 2009 and in 2017, and in the Gonski report, and in the Parliamentary Joint Committee of Public Accounts and Audits that was criticised, that was in 2018. All of these things have found exactly the same thing over and over and over again. And I have to say, the Catholic education officers from around the country, they go, yep, nope, you can't make us, we're not going to. And that's it. That's why they it built just... up these, these bureaucracies. They put the bureaucracies in between um, the, the parliamentarians, if you like, our representatives and the, and the schools in order to do this for control, for purposes of control in part of information but also other forms of control but um, the last time that the figures were not rubbery was when Fraser who who became the Prime Minister when he was the Minister for Education in 1968-69 that was the last time that the figures were not what you call rubbery but now the figures are not only just rubbery in some cases, they are just not available. No, they're just not there. They're just not there. In conclusion, and I'd like to finish with Trevor's words, just to be fair to the man, because he does an awful lot of good work, and I, I don't want to paraphrase him. He says, the publication of payments 
for the base amount and the students' disadvantaged loans are needed. We need them, not only to hold public and private school systems accountable for how they're using the money that we give them, but also to assure the public that the Commonwealth Department of Education, the Department of Education, is fulfilling its statutory responsibilities yes. to monitor and report on how a school system is using the government's funding. There should be a commission of inquiry into this. Well, because one of the questions that pops up, and this is a real question, do the Commonwealth Department of Education know the answers to the questions? Have they been told the Are they saying, we can't tell you because there's other things? Or are they saying, actually, we just don't know? And they're too embarrassed to admit that simple fact. Now, we don't know the answer to that question at the moment, but I think it's worth pointing out that that is historically um, a sincere possibility. Well, I would think that Mr Shorten should be offering us another Royal Commission of Inquiry, don't you? Oh, I'm sick of Royal Commissions. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. If there is a problem, a Royal Commission is not the solution. If there is a problem, there are direct solutions. And I think the direct solution is if you're not going to tell us where you're going to give the... If you're not going to tell us what you're going to do with the money, you don't get the money. Oh. You don't get the money. When <laughs> Show you... me the money? No. Tell me what you're going to do with it. No, okay, you don't get the money. Very simple. I think we're going to be more after, after this because I think after this we're going to have a great state school to talk about. In fact, I've got two. Two neighbouring great state schools, and they're both very interesting, and they're in the north of Melbourne. I can't wait to tell you about it, but I think we'll have a bit of music first. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Yeah, great state schools. Uh, I'm going to talk about two schools. They're next to each other, and they're both state schools, and they're both brilliant. And there's something going on between them. It's really quite strange. It's 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 a modern phenomenon. It is a, becoming much much more prevalent. That um, what is it? Is a is the truth often stated that a middle class parent will seek out a school to the benefit of their children and the detriment of others? Um, there are two schools. One is called Preston West Primary School. It is a great school because they have great kids and they're doing great things. And there's 700 kids going to this school. 
That's a lot. Now, I don't know if people don't, but some people here would know Melbourne better than others, but I'll tell you, Preston, Preston's a really interesting place. Preston was something and now it's something different. Preston has been, um, what's the word? Uh, it's going up in the world. Um, there's the thing called Bell Street Line these days. If you're south of the Bell Street Line, you live there, you're, you're doing well. If you're north of the Bell Street Line, you, some people are still struggling, but it's moving around. I'll, I'll tell you the Ixia value. That is you know, how wealthy the parents are who send their kids to Preston West Primary School. Um, for Australia, the median is a thousand. This is one thousand one hundred and twenty-six. It's packed loads. Fifty-four percent of the kids come from the richest families in Australia, and four percent come from the poorest. At Preston West Primary School, I'm sitting here in the student, and Jean is raising her eyebrows, going, "What, Preston? Mm-hmm. Now this is a wealthy parent school, and they're." Uh, it's a state school. These, these aren't stupid parents. They're not sending their kids to private schools. This is a great school. 700 kids, they're packing them in. Enrolment's going up every year. What are the NAPLAN results? They are bucket loads streets ahead. The kids are doing great in tests. The teachers are happy. The kids are happy. The parents are happy. There's communities. There's concerts. There's sports. It's, it's a happening place. It's an extraordinary place, actually. Um, it's been there since 1915. It's got history, it's got old-fashioned school buildings and portables, it's, it's squeezing out the boundaries. What a great place. If I, you know, if I, was, if I had a kid I'd, and I was living in Preston, I'd send to Preston West, no trouble at all. Brilliant school. Um, how much does it cost? Well, a bit under $10,000 per kid. Bargain. A lot of kids, a lot of families, a lot of interest. I tell you what, I don't know the people personally on the school council, but I imagine they are engaged with the school itself. How much are they raising, I wonder? Um, in terms of their finances, um, money comes in from the school. Um, state and Territory Governments is around about 8000 Fees and charges for the school, um, about $250. But they are voluntary, of course. But there's so few poor students in the school, I imagine that most of the parents will be paying those fees. Um, other private sources, around about $400 fundraising for the kids in that school per student. Mm per year. So there's a fair bit of fundraising going on there and that of course fundraising parents having a good time doing that that builds community and also builds the school as well. I've got nothing to say about Preston West Primary School that's not good this place is kicking goals all over the place. So Preston West Primary School you are one of our great state schools couple of blocks across the road a bit further north in the world of Melbourne is the Faulkner Primary School now, the Faulkner Primary School, I love. If I was a parent, I'd send my kid there, truth to tell. Preston West, I'm very tempted by, but I'll tell you what, Faulkner Primary School, over half of the kids come from the poorest families in Australia. The ICSI value of the place is just over 900, well under 1,000. Now, this is two blocks down the road. Two blocks down the road. But I'll tell you why I'd send my kid there, because there's about 150 kids go to Faulkner. 150 kids in a primary school. There's 18 teachers, not 52. <laughs> so there's 18 teachers. I tell you what, those teachers would know those kids. Language background other than English at Faulkner, 85%. There's only 3% Indigenous kids, but if you know in the north of Melbourne, there aren't actually many Indigenous kids up there, but they're there. Yeah. And if they are anywhere, they're at Faulkner. Um, 30% of the kids come from the second lowest quartile. Now, bear in mind, this is a couple of blocks down the road from the school I was enthusing to you about before. Now, I think this is fascinating because in terms of their NAPLAN results, okay, in terms of the NAPLAN results, the kids at Faulkner, great, absolutely great. Yes, they're sitting there, they're learning, they're passing their tests, they're cared, they're known, their names. In terms of a school, you know, the reading and the writing and the arithmetic and the building of community and the engendering the love of learning that a good primary school can do, Faulkner Primary School, two blocks down the corner, much smaller, much poorer. Dedicated teachers. Dedicated teachers. Absolutely. How much does it cost to educate these children? Now, bear in mind that 80% of these kids come from the, the poorest families in Australia. 80%. Um, it's not 9,000. It's 13,000. Sensible. Yep. There should be a couple of thousand more. Mm-hmm. Um, fees and charges. Now, many of the fees and charges for, for students in this school would be voluntary and would not be paid because, of course, the parents' community, you know, that, that's something that 
you know, they say they can't and no one's telling them they're a liar. That's around about $120 per student per year in terms of voluntary contributions. But they're raising as much money per kid in terms of fundraising and flights. So there's still a community there. $500 per child per year is raised from other sources in that community. Now that's something special. So Faulkner Primary School which I just told you about, and before that, Preston West Primary School. They are state schools. They are great schools. They are two blocks away from each other in the north of Melbourne, and I'd send my kid to either. If it was me, I'd send him to Faulkner. No trouble at all, because I, a smaller school is something that I've always thought. I'm a bit prejudiced. Can I do that? I'm going to be prejudiced. I like small schools. Don't care where they are uh, when it comes to educational outcomes, certainly in the primary level. So they are so different from each other. And these schools, I think, reflect a certain phenomenon in a place like Melbourne at the moment. It's it's a modern phenomenon. Two schools, so different. But they so also much the reflect the public education system. They do. Which is do. for every kind of child. Yeah. yeah, one thing that I find, I don't know, it really attracts me to the idea of what's going on at the Faulkner Primary School is that even though they have less than 200 students, what they say they want, and I'm sure what they say they want is what they do, they say they want somewhere that's safe, and secure, and happy. Now, some people say, well, that's not very aspirational. I go, no, 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 no. I want a safe, secure, and and that word, a happy school. And for that reason, we've been talking about the Catholic Education Office, talking about we're not going to tell you how much we spend our money because it's commercial incompetence because in the marketplace of education, our standing might be blah, 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 blah. Faulkner Primary School, they don't care about that. They don't care about the positioning in the marketplace. Faulkner Primary School is all about making a happy school. And quite frankly, if your parents spend $14,000 for someone else's kid to go to a happy school, I say, yes, yeah, yeah, that's where my money should go. Oh, I always like talking about these places because I find them so fascinating, and I hope you do too. Um, I'm not just indulging myself, but it's really great to highlight a great state school with great teachers, great parents, great kids coming together to do something that was... I don't know, I talk about our founding fathers and mothers and what they intended for us. It gives you a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. But yes, Faulkner, Preston West, you are our great joint state schools of the week. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent, or if you're a kid, or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever, and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. And so it is we have again come to the end of the DOGS program, the Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. If you want to go back on Jean's press release that she had in the program or you're interested in anything we've had to say, you can check us out on our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week when we have to defend state schools again, defenders of government schools, it's from Jean, myself and Dale. Bye for now.
dreamed I saw Joey last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I did, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. Uh...